as we come to think about what we've been reading this evening, let's just have a, a moment's prayer. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can meet together. We pray that you would help us to put aside the distractions of our, our day, the distractions that might stop us from thinking on you this evening. Father, as the songwriter wrote, oh, make me understand it. Help me to take it in, what it meant for you, the Holy One, to bear away my sin. Amen. As we come to the Bible, it's often useful to um, really get to understand what we're reading. In Acts chapter 8, there's the story recounted for us of the guy traveling back to Ethiopia from Jerusalem. He was in his chariot. He had got the copy of the scroll of Isaiah or part of the scroll of Isaiah. And he was reading that as he was journeying along. He didn't know that God had dispatched a messenger to come and help him. But Philip was there. He heard what the man was reading. He came alongside him and asked him, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone explains it to me? That's a really good question to ask each and every time we open our Bibles. Do I understand what I'm reading? Some of the stories and passages that we've been looking at this evening are really familiar to lots of us. They're stories that we read every year. But as we come to this, these stories and these passages of Scripture today, do we really understand what we're reading? So just for a few moments, I'd like to have six small descriptions of what's, um, what's happening at this time, and then followed by a little explanation and a little um, application. So first of all, six words, six things that come up in the passages that we've read um, this evening. Back in chapter 14, in verse 33, we have the description of Christ being distressed in the garden. In fact, we're told by Mark that he was greatly distressed, that he was troubled. In fact, he was, it was prepared to say to his friends that he was very sorrowful, even to the point of death. This really, truly does speak of Jesus' humanity. Sometimes we struggle to come to terms with Jesus' divinity and his humanity. But here we see the, the majesty of his humanity, that he's overwhelmed in this situation. This can be a real helpful point for us to think of. Sometimes we think we're in situations where nobody can understand what we're going through. But we can know that Christ knows what it means to be distressed. And Christ cares. So not only was he distressed, but he was betrayed. Verses 44 and 45 of chapter 14, we read about Jesus being betrayed for cash and betrayed by a kiss by an enemy living with the disguise of a friend. Judas was Christ's enemy 
who was pretending to be a friend. And you'll remember the scene in the upper room when Jesus announces that someone was going to betray him. They didn't know straight away who it was. They turned and asked, is it I? They didn't know who it was going to be. It is possible to go through the motions of being involved in Christianity, appearing in all tents and purposes to be a friend of Jesus, but really in our hearts not to be. Jesus was distressed. He was betrayed. And in verses 66 to 72, we see he was denied. There's a real tragedy here that Peter, the self-appointed spokesperson for the disciples, the person who got most of the questions right and lots of questions wrong, it's like his whole life collapses like a house of cards when he's asked in the courtyard by a girl, a young girl, aren't you a Nazarene? Don't you know Jesus? Weren't you with him? No, 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 says Peter. Peter denied knowing Jesus. So Jesus was distressed, he was betrayed, he was denied, and he was mocked. And in our passage in chapter 15, we see time and time again that he was mocked by the soldiers. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They saluted him. They struck him. They spat on him. They knelt down to pretend to honor him. And when they'd mocked him they tore off his purple robes and put on and uh, tore off um, his purple robes and put own, his own clothes back on him they led him out they weren't alone though the passer passers by they also mocked jesus wagging their heads oh ho you were able to destroy the temple you said you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days yes jesus we heard what you said but they didn't really understand. There was the religious people too. They mocked him. He said he would save others, but he can't save himself. Let him come down from the cross so that we can believe. The only possibility that they would ever see and believe is not if Christ came down off the cross, but if he went and died on the cross. Next, Jesus is crucified. When the sixth hour had come and darkness was there, you know, it's quite striking that the thing that was absent in this story is all the graphic pictures of of the crucifixion. The gospel writer here just tells us times and what happened. Crucifixion was an awful form of death. But we don't need to see the pictures of the cruelty of it all. We can imagine that in our minds. The gospel writers don't record that for us. 
he was crucified between two thieves. The reactions of these two thieves is staggering. One of them wants to mock Jesus. The other one says, you know, I'm not sure we should, we should keep going on with this stuff. Because he, we're here because of what our sins deserve. But the man in the middle, he's done nothing wrong. That um, criminal turns to Jesus and said, Lord, would you remember me in your kingdom? Essentially, he's asking good Jesus to save him. Jesus says, I'll do even better than that. Today, today you'll be in my presence. Jesus is then buried. Joseph of Arimathea comes to town from the country. He braves himself and goes to Pilate and asks for his body. Pilate's surprised. Is he dead already? He turns to the centurion who confirms that yes, Jesus was dead. It was his job to make sure he was dead. He knew the difference between being alive and being dead. There was no question about it. Joseph made a brave request. Pilate made a surprised response and the centurion leaves him in no doubt. So there is a very brief summary of some of the things that happened to Jesus over that day. But do we understand what we're reading? It's often said that in the Gospels, they reveal Jesus. The Acts of the Apostles, they tell us about Jesus being preached. And in the Epistles, we hear about Jesus being explained. And so I want to just go to a little passage in, um, in Romans chapter 4. Just one little sentence of Paul's in Romans chapter 4 that sums up exactly what's been happening here. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. And he was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised to life for our justification. He was delivered up to atone for our sins. The sinless one dies in the, in the sinner's place, and he was raised for our justification. In the letter to the Romans, Paul is explaining the gospel. Basically, that's what the whole letter is about. And in this particular chapter, he, he's been using the example of Abraham to help them see that it's not by what we do that we're justified and saved. It's by what has been done for us. It's by faith. Abraham, many, many, many years before, had, um, had uh, met with God and God had promised him that even though he was a hundred years old, God said he was going to make him a father of many people. I'm going to make you a father and a great, of a great nation. Okay, 
but he believed him. God took him out and showed him the stars in the sky and said, can you number them all? And he told him that his offspring were going to be as vast as the stars in the sky. So Paul says now in, in, in Romans chapter 4, how was Abraham put right with God? Was it because of something he did? Or was it because he had faith and trusted in God? It wasn't because he had been circumcised that he was made right with God. It was be- that came after. That sign came after. It was back in Genesis chapter 15 when we see that Abraham was made right with God because he trusted and it was counted to him as righteousness because he trusted that God would keep his promise. Religion asks us how is it possible for humanity to relate to divinity or how in Christian terms um, we want to know how is it possible for sinful man and woman to be brought right with God. Our first reaction is, also, is, is often to um, see what we can do. What is it that I can do to make myself right with God? But we need to go back to our six description points of Jesus. He was distressed. He was betrayed, denied, mocked, crucified, buried. Why did he do that if there was anything we could do to be right with God? Jesus didn't die as an example for us to follow. He died as a substitute for us. And that's the point that Paul is trying to make um, here in this passage. And he sums it up with that last little sentence. He was delivered up for our our trespasses and raised for our justification. So when we think of what Jesus has done, distressed, betrayed, denied, mocked, crucified, and buried. Do we understand what we're reading? Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. And on Easter Sunday, he was raised so that we could be right with God. said we often try and um, look for ways that we can be right with God we do things that we want to do that make us right with God I've got a strong faith my family have always believed I do my best I'm quite religious we live in fear and failure of because we're sinful people we're We're in Christ, but yet we're sinners. And so when we sin, which we do, and when we fail, which we do, and when the evil one attacks us, which he does, we're all too aware of our sinfulness. But God the Father says, what are you talking about? Jesus was delivered up for your trespasses. He was raised for your justification. It was all about Jesus. It's not what we could do. There's nothing we could do. Spurgeon has written 
um, lots of writings over the, over the years. There's many of them written down into daily readings that you can read every day. Um, one of them sums up what I'm trying to say quite well. And I could have just read this and we could have sat down, but um, just see if this sums up a little bit better what I've been trying to say this evening. It is always the Holy Spirit's work to turn our eyes away from self to Jesus. But Satan's work is just the opposite. He's constantly trying to make us look at ourselves instead of Christ. And so he insinuates, your sins are too great for pardon. You have no faith. You don't repent enough. You will never be able to continue to the end. You do not have the joy of his children. You have, you have such a wavering hold on Jesus. All these are thoughts about self. And we will never find comfort or assurance by looking within. But the Holy Spirit turns our eyes entirely away from self. He tells us that we are nothing but that Christ is everything. Remember, therefore, it is not the hold of Christ that saves you. It's Christ. It is not your instruments. It is Christ's blood and merit. Therefore, do not look so much at your hand with which you are grasping Christ, but look to Christ. Do not look at your hope, but to Christ, the source of your hope. Do not look to your faith, but to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith. We will never find happiness by looking at our prayers, our deeds, our feelings. It is what Jesus is, not what we are, that gives us rest to our souls. If we are to overcome Satan, we have peace with God. It must be by looking to Jesus, keeping your eyes simply on him. Let his death, his suffering, his merits, his glories, his intercessions be fresh upon your mind. When you wake in the morning, look to him. When you lie down at night, look to him. Do not let your hopes or fears come between you and Jesus. Follow hard after him and he will never fail you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus was so willing to um, go through all that he went through for us, to the distress, the betrayal, the denial, the mocking, the crucifixion, and the burial. Lord God, we thank you for Paul's words this evening, that he was delivered up for our trespasses, there is nothing that we could do in ourselves to make us right with you. But all of our trespasses are covered by Jesus. We thank you that Jesus was raised up so that we can be justified, that we can be made right with you, our Heavenly Father. And Lord, we thank you that we, we can remember this, this Easter time. Lord, we thank you.
for Jesus. Amen.